Mr. Carrot? No, that wasn't it. Uh, Blake? Blonde Blake? Bullion Blake? No, that can't be it either. Oh, hey, Kelly. What are you trying to do there? So you're going to think I'm stupid, but I just finished the latest Bond book for our podcast, and I can't remember the name of the villain. You know, the one who loves gold. Oh, yeah. Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought, but I decided it couldn't be that obvious. I mean, remembered how he already had golden hair, golden tan skin, drove a gold car, and painted women gold. There's no way Fleming also named him Goldfinger, right? He totally named him Goldfinger. And his first name is Auric, which also refers to gold. Oh. Yeah. Not very subtle, is it? Not really, no. Well, let's not let that stop us from panning through the book and the movie in search of some nuggets of entertainment. (laughs) That's right, everyone. So grab your boot heel knives. And your homing beacons. And join us as we look at James Bond here in the books. And there in the movies. Part 7, The Gold Substandard. As always, we'll start with the synopsis of the book. Auric Goldfinger is the richest man in England. Though his wealth can't be found in banks, he's been hoarding vast stockpiles of his namesake metal, and it's attracted the suspicion of 007 superiors at MI6. Sent to investigate, Bond uncovers an ingenious gold-smuggling scheme, as well as Goldfinger's most daring caper yet, Operation Grand Schlam. A gold high so audacious... That was it. Yeah, that was my Sean Connery. You heard it. A gold high so audacious it could bring down the world economy and put the fate of the West in the hands of Smirsch. To stop Goldfinger, Bond will have to survive a showdown with the sinister millionaire's henchman, Oddjob, a tenacious karate master who can kill with one well-aimed toss of his razor-rimmed bowler hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First, let me just say, I like that they make in the book they make karate so okay i'll say it they make karate sound like some really exotic form of hand-to-hand combat when it's like the most common one we have today but i guess back then it wasn't as well known yeah so kelly what do do you think about the book overall i i mean i i still enjoyed it but it definitely is not anywhere near the top for me. I might even go so far as to say that it is my least favorite. I'm, I, I'm not. I can't. I'm torn. I can't decide. Well, but yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't really like it that much. Last time, I really teased our audience, and I apologize for leaving them in such suspense. But I said one of these would be my. It would be the book or the movie was one of my favorites. It's not the book. The book is. I would. It's definitely my least favorite so far. Uh, so I agree with you there. I felt like the pacing was way off. It, yeah. it really drug at the beginning and then the ending felt really rushed because there was kind of two, there was like a surprise ending at the end too, a little twist and it was like in four pages long and that was it and it, it, it just ended abruptly. Yeah, so, I mean it took forever for them to for them to get to the heist which you thought was going to unfold over more chapters. Right. I mean. Yeah, when I got, because I knew the book was going to be about robbing Fort Knox and I find when we when I finally got to that part in the book, I, I looked at the, how many pages were left to the end. I was like, "There's only like 20 pages left. What's going on here? How, how is he going to do this?" And it ends up not well. He doesn't yeah. do it well. The, my my least favorite part of the book was the golf scene. There was a whole chapter, <laughs> I think two chapters, of this golf match between him and Goldfinger, and it just drug on. And I'm not a golf guy, so and maybe his audience back then was probably more into golf than I am today, but. I liked it. I mean, I liked it in the movie. I, I liked the plot points of it and how and how 
Bond ends up tricking Goldfinger to winning, but it just drug on. For he like described every all, every one of the eighteen holes. Yeah, he and and I'll say this: I actually am a golfer. I uh, and it was it drug on for me too. I mean, it wasn't any more enjoyable, you know, from a perspective <laughs> yeah, of enjoying yeah. playing golf. It womp womp. Like, it just it was unnecessary. Like, wh- who are you writing to? I mean, why why are you? And there's so many like golf specific terms and I don't yeah know. i got i got lost in some of those too um i love that they they go in, they go into goldfinger's pass and how he stockpiles all this gold i love that they had gold brokers back then with you know come sell your gold and silver because today that's such a that's such a humorous thing to see those people on the side of the street <laughs> spinning the, yes. the arrows around so i'm kind of glad to know they were still doing yeah. that back then <laughs> yeah it, I don't know. It just it was just a boring book to me, yeah. and I didn't really like any of the Bond females. I mean, I I don't know. I just it was very well. Bleh. Part of the problem was that they didn't focus on any one. You had, uh, the two sisters. Tilly was the second one he met. The first one got painted gold, and mm-hmm. and died because of Bond, which happens a lot. The second <laughs> one, uh, <laughs> well, uh, okay, so let. I, okay, so let's talk about lesbians for a second, shall we? <laughs> we shall. Because this book covers it, and we had to get there eventually. You know, we've had we've had every sort of controversial personality type you can have. So, right. so Pussy Galore is unfortunately the name of the Bond girl here, <laughs> and she's introduced as a lesbian. Okay. And then Tilly Masterson, the girl that Bond meets earlier, kind of has a thing for uh, galore. I'll call her. And yeah. <laughs> and as the as the shootout's happening, Tilly decides to go with uh, galore, and that she'll protect her, right? And so she has to leave Bond to do that, and ends up dying uh-huh. as a result. So I'm like. It, to me, yeah, to me, it felt like such a heavy-handed allegory of, you know, if you leave the masculine heterosexual relationship to go for lesbianism, you'll die. You'll get shot yeah. by Goldfinger, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And then at the end, it turns out Bond turns pussy galore, you know, straight, and that she wasn't, you know, they kind of make it seem like she wasn't really ever a true lesbian, that she it was because right. of her past and whatever. It was just I weird. It was... It wasn't that I was even offended. It was just like this is weird. I don't, I don't get it. And and they just threw that in there ever so right. casually. Right. Like oh, it literally. I think it was on the last page, yeah, the was. second to the last it page, was. where where she was like, oh, BT Dubs, my uncle. He was like, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all right. You're straight now. I'm James yes. Bond. <laughs> just, uh, just silly. Fifty no's and a yes is still a yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome okay yeah it wasn't me who said it and while we're while we're on the controversial topics how horrible is he to koreans in this book like oh my gosh it's so uh, bad i feel like it was worse than any of the african-american racism in oh the for sure books. yeah not to diminish for that sure, but yeah. this was like a whole nother level yeah it was... i mean okay when he was he was like, oh, here, good job, odd job, you've done well, you can have this cat for dinner. <laughs> it was like, no! Why? That was pretty rough. Yeah. That was pretty rough, I have to say. And yeah. that and that odd job can't even talk. They talk in like this 
caveman barking language. And they try, they, they, they try to make it better in the movie. I, I, I think they describe Oddjob specifically as having some speech impediment or something, or a cleft palate. But yeah. it's still bad in the movie. You know, it's still this Asian guy who can't say anything and is just like a like a lapdog for Goldfinger. I don't know. It was at least rough. in the movie, at least in the movie, it was kind of more like he was he was a silent and sort of goofy henchman. In the book, he did. I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember him speaking like that in the movie but in the book it was like blah, 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 blah. you know the, the, yeah. i mean not even words right you are correct he well he doesn't have any dialogue in the movie he uh, other than sounds yeah yeah he doesn't he doesn't speak words uh so anyway okay we've we've dealt with that let's just put all that aside yes. let's <laughs> let's just move past it and yes. talk about plot uh okay. what I like. I thought this had the probably the most potential of any of the Bond books. I really liked the plot of robbing Fort Knox. Of mm-hmm. I was really interested in the gold and how it affects the economy. Uh, that part was fascinating. Uh, it was weird to me that they suggested Goldfinger was part of Smirsh um, in the beginning of the book, but then weren't worried that he would know who Bond is because Bond's had all these run-ins with Smirsh. Right. And it's like, wait, what? So you're, and he doesn't even use a pseudonym. He uses his name, James Bond. So they say it at the end, you know, Goldfinger mentions, oh, well, you know, I finally found out through my friends at Smirsh who you were, but it just seemed like you would have known <laughs> to begin with. Um, yeah. So I, I agree. Especially in such a, such a position of power as he was in, I mean, you'd think right. that he would have known. Yeah. And the fact that they that he for that Goldfinger for some reason kept Bond until he lived to work for him and like yeah oh god ha- you know it I can suspend my disbelief with the villain uh, giving all the secrets of their plan away in this speech just to to make somebody know how brilliant he is but to have mm-hmm. Bond until he work and type up the the memos for this whole thing was just bonkers to me it was weird it I just didn't yeah. work yeah. It was very lame. I it, I don't I agree. It didn't work. Uh, so okay, I'm glad you agree. I do on all counts. Uh, I won't even quote. I, I had this quote written down. I'll go ahead and read it. This is when Bond meets Tilly. Their eyes met and exchanged a flurry of masculine, feminine, master, slave signals. The girl took the money. <laughs> classic Fleming. Yeah, classic. That. Like why? 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 Yeah. What? I I didn't. It's a weird sentence, but also I didn't get the master slave vibe from what was happening contextually at the time. It was like a an, just an odd quote to me. Yeah. Well, I I may have mentioned this in the first episode, but maybe not. These books have have really made me realize how different. Well. How much it has just sucked to be anybody but a white male for the last all of history until the last twenty years. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, oh wait, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's just weird. It's it makes you. It, I don't. know, It makes me glad to be alive in the time I'm alive in right now because it just kind of sucked before before now. Yeah, pretty much. And so, anyway, sorry, Fleming. 
This is called <laughs> yeah. this is called revisionist history. Sorry. Yeah. You, uh, you, de- you definitely. I mean, these these books they're worth enjoying. I think they still hold up for certain. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Today, but you really, really do have to read them with a. <laughs> Well, as a white guy, I've loved them. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you have, Mark. That, they do hold up, though. They're... One thing he does really well, and uh, especially in Dr. No, I didn't mention this last episode, but he his visceral descriptions, he talks a lot about food and drink mm-hmm. and all of the good things in life when it comes to that, the, the best champagne and the best food and uh he opens up this book with Bond wanting kind of a break and to enjoy himself. And he goes and with the millionaire that he met in Casino Royale and enjoys the crabs and, and kind of lets himself on this. And uh, then he feels bad about it afterward. And he, and also uh, in Dr. No, the description of the centipede crawling up his body was amazing. I loved that. Yes. So oh, man, I can't believe we forgot to yeah, bring that up. Uh, why not do it now? No, but so he, he does all these things with with the visceral parts of life that that get mm-hmm. to the ins, the instincts to survive and to eat and to and and all of that. So I, I've loved them for that and and mm-hmm. uh, and great suspense, great great suspense novels too. So yeah, I mean, I think I think it's tough to overlook, but I feel like it's worth overlooking some of those uh, more unpleasant. Uh, you know, racial and sexual overtones, but um, well, you know, some yeah. of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's ugly. You have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ex- exactly, exactly. You know what else has the good, the bad, and the ugly? <laughs> Pray tell. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The podcast. <laughs> check, <laughs> check us out on iTunes, <laughs> and it's just awesome dot com. Yes. All right. Did you do you have anything uh, uh, specific about the book that you wanted to discuss? Um. No, I think those were kind of the main points. All right. Then let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back. All right. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by Fleming Brand Evil Villain Quirks. Hey, all you villains, you antagonists, you dastardly crooks, criminals, and ne'er-do-wells. Don't think Fleming Brand has forgotten about you. Visit us online or in-store to purchase your one-of-a-kind evil quirk. With over 1,000 in stock, you're bound to find one that lives up to your personal awfulness. Just listen to a few. Horrifying facial scar. Bleeding tear duct. Claws for hands. Claws for feet. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do this without that. <clears throat> Go ahead. Metal teeth that are super strong for some reason. Diamonds embedded in your face. A third nipple. A horrifying scarred nipple that bleeds diamonds and makes your claws super strong for some reason. That's right, the Fleming Brand Evil Villain Quirks are the cure for what ails you. Fleming Brand, products for you. And now, back to the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... Wait, wait. And now, back to the program. And welcome back to our discussion of Goldfinger. Let's, um, you want to move into talking about the movie, Mark? Yeah, and uh, we'll forego the synopsis because they're pretty similar, um, other than a yeah. plot twist at the end that we'll discuss. Indeed. Uh, but this movie has been my favorite so far, uh, other than Casino Royale, I have to say, the new one, which is kind of in a different league, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of appropriate because this movie is really the breakout movie for the Bond franchise. 
um, mm. it was really successful in the box office. In fact, I think it was the highest grossing movie of all time. It, it won a it won a Guinness World Record for the amount Whoa. of money it earned. Yeah, and uh, people said the first two movies were a little too uh, political, and this one was just a fun. You know, it introduces so much of the classic Bond. Uh, tropes. We've been using that word a lot, but let's go ahead and use mm. it again. You've got the yes. opening credit. This is the first movie with those with those opening credit scenes with the women and the and the visual effects and the song. This is the first movie where we see Q finally, you know, officially. Mm-hmm. And we've got all the gadgets. We've got the car. Uh, the Austin Martin was a huge hit too. It, it sold yes. a ton of, you know, that did a, a huge thing for their business too. So uh, I don't know. What are your general impressions of the movie? I, I don't think it, I don't think I'd say it's my favorite, um, but I did, I did think it was, you know, good, fun Bond movie. And I totally agree that it gave us so many of the things that we come to expect from a Bond movie. Um, this, I love the opening title sequence. That Shirley Bassey song is amazing. That's a great song. And I think it hit top 10 or something at the time too. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I think, I don't know if it's just me you know, it's <laughs> top 10 of my heart, but I, I would say it's one of the more famous Bond songs, you know, and the Bond songs tend to be pretty iconic, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll stay with you. I was humming in my head all day mm-hmm. getting ready for this podcast, but. Gold um... finger. <laughs> Apparently she, uh, she watched the opening credit scene as she was singing. And when she held the last note, she almost passed out because she didn't know how long the credits were going to keep going. So because she holds it out and they actually do a second uh, instrumental hit too with that second note. And so it was funny reading that because she's a powerhouse for sure. Oh yeah. I thought, well, you know, we haven't, I haven't watched, it feels like we haven't watched many of the movies yet, even though we're halfway through the books Mm -hmm. on this episode, which is 007 by the way. Uh, Yes. But it's it's weird going back because I haven't watched most of these since I was like a preteen in seventh grade. And I loved all of them because they were awesome and they were Bond and they had guns that yep. shot in them. And so now I'm going back and like having to really, oh, this movie wasn't that great. You know, this was silly and this was not well done. So I just like this movie because it's like, oh, yeah, this was as good as I remember it being. Yeah. Yeah. and And it just has so many so many quotable moments from it. Like when, um, when Bond is strapped to the table saw and is racing towards his nether regions. And, um, (laughs) and he's like, do you expect me to talk? And Goldfinger's like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. (laughs) I mean, that's just classic. That whole scene was great. It's my favorite part of the movie. It's, I mentioned this earlier that it's there's so so infrequently in the movies do we feel like Bond is actually in danger and this is one of those rare moments in the movies where I really I really did feel like it because it's like what's he going to say to get out of this and he drops the grand slam you know and makes mm-hmm. Goldfinger question himself so that was a good little piece of spy you know uh spyness there that he remembered that word he overheard and used it Mhm Yeah I, I would agree I didn't realize that all of Goldfinger's lines were dubbed. I don't know what you think about that. I was disappointed. Uh, yeah, I honestly I did not notice that, which I feel like I should have now. I didn't. But... I didn't either. They said he spoke German the whole time. They said just to speak German because I guess it's faster language and that it'll be easier for dubbing. And I never noticed it at all, which is, which is pretty impressive. A, yeah, I guess it. I guess it worked. Uh, it seemed light years ahead 
of Dr. No and From Russia With Love, the first two movies before this, in terms of the movie making of it? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say really quickly, speaking of light years, I, it, I did have the thought while I was thinking this, like how many of these movies involve a giant laser? It feels like they all <laughs> <But> do. <laughs> in this movie's fairness, this was the first movie, not Bond movie, but the first movie to feature a laser in it. So really? the te- yeah, the technology oh. at the time was really new. So okay. for this movie, I think it's acceptable, cool. but for all yeah. the ones after, maybe a little too much. Yeah, too many lasers there. We'll, but... keep, we'll keep track as we go on. How many have lasers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Laser, yes or no? Yeah. I do think, well, okay, I'll say this. I like, <laughs> up until this point, I've generally felt like the improvements that movies have tried to make on the book have not been successful or for the most part, but I actually like a few of the improvements that were yeah. made in the movie Goldfinger versus the book because it, it, when he, when he's, let me think about this. So in the book, he was overhearing all the plans of Fort Knox because he was in Goldfinger's employee and he was basically his secretary. But in the movie, he does it because he finds out about it because he's actually spying, which is mm-hmm. his job. So it feels a little bit, more plausible even though i still think it's weird that goldfinger took him into his confidence so much as he did agreed i like that in the movie he sees jill painted uh painted gold in the book he never sees mm-hmm. her painted gold you know he just hears right. about it from tilly later tilly masterson later so i thought that was you know to have that and that's a common that's a common running plot thing throughout the bond movies is that he meets women and because of him they die you know throughout the whole mm-hmm. series and so starting off with that in this third movie it, it's i thought it was good him seeing her and what what goldfinger did to her uh, i agree i don't know what do you what did you think about making pussy galore a pilot versus a gangster i felt like it was kind of as a zero sum like it didn't do much either way yeah, I th- I, i'd agree with that it, it was a lateral move. <laughs> I mean, it didn't really bother me that, that, that it was different. Right. She's still, in both, she's a strong character. She's a leader. You know, she was, in the book, she was the head of a gang. In the movie, she's the head of a, a flight, what, what would you call it? A airplane squadron. squadron yeah. <laughs> Of 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 all women, I like when they. I like that scene with the muted horns. When the women yes. like come out of the air, I'm like, okay, that's. Yeah. Yes, they are women. I guess we have to play that music. And they all they all look exactly like her yeah. too, yeah. which I thought was just funny. Uh. <laughs> I, I felt with the movie that they had to only be suggestive about the lesbian angle with her character so it was it was kind of awkward to me because i was wondering what whether they were going to make it clear or not they never did and so that just kind of held it was kind of out in the open and and i understand why it was but i feel like they should have just made her straight in the movie i guess because it would have been the same you know if if they weren't going to be explicit about it it doesn't really do any much for the plot but Right. I mean, in the movie, it was just like, I've been resisting you and resisting you, and now yeah. I can't resist anymore. You know, right. it wasn't, it, it was never implied that she was interested in women. So, but I think it's, I mean, if Fleming can get away with writing it in the 50s, then surely they could have gotten away with hinting at it more right. on the nose in the 60s. I don't know. Maybe not. 
well, maybe it's it was too much it's, to see. It's an interesting dynamic talking about books and movies because you can do a lot of things in books you can in movies. You know, we talked That's about true. how how dark the books have been since yeah. the beginning, and the movies are all you know kind of cheesified. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, I like the I like the common civility while in captivity. I call it because Bond always gets captured, but he always seems to have a martini and a cigar in his hand, you know, or whatever. You right. know, I, I kind of like that. That it's, you know, this is the high class way to get kidnapped. You know, exactly. It's like he's their guest, but yeah. not. But he could die at any moment. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, while we're talking about captivity, though, I think the worst part of this movie was how he escapes from his cell. He <laughs> he walks back and forth. There's a Korean, er, there's a Korean guard at the door, and he Bond like walks up to the window, looks at him, walks back, oh, yeah. walks back up to the window, winks at him, <laughs> walks back, walks back a third time, and then just does like the elevator move where he pretends to like be lowered down, and then just disappears. And for some reason, the Korean guard gets up and opens the door to see where he went. Like he's. Why? Yeah. Just, I He's clearly messing with you. Yeah, like it's just—it was silly that they—they they could have done something, you know, with spy. He's a spy. They could have done something better than that, you know. He's James Bond. It was just weird to it, me. That—that that was a really funny scene because it was almost—it was funny for Connery to do something like that. I'd expect that from Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah. With, with his like Mr. Bean eyebrow wiggles, <laughs> you know. But for Connery, it just seemed odd. Yeah. Um, didn't work for me but yeah no okay i like okay now i like the plot twist at the end we know he's gonna break into fort knox but in the movie he's not doing it to steal the gold he's doing it to taint the gold with nuclear radioactivity which is pretty cool i like that it's Uh, true it's more sinister because it's it it what does he say it increases his own gold shares by 10 times because the gold in fort knox will all be unusable for 57 years Uh uh-huh well, 56, if you're counting correctly. <laughs> he, he says that. Yeah. So I thought that made him a little more diabolical. And, and uh, yeah. for people who had read the book when they went to see the movie, uh, it was a nice little twist, too. True. Uh, Although, again, I feel like they use radioactivity a lot in the movies. <laughs> it's like everything is radioactive. Okay. Dr. No was radioactive. Yeah, but this is only the third movie. <laughs> I know, but I'm... <laughs> yeah, you're right. And this is the age of of nuclear fear, and we've mentioned True. before that that Bond movies tend to play off the fear of the time, you know, whether it is terrorism or cyber terrorism or things like things of that nature. This was the nuclear age. That is true. That's a good point, and it's important to remember that. I think, and I mean, I had to mention that just because yeah, you're I right. always I always think it, but but really, I did like it as a little twist on well, the story. When you think of Austin Powers, too, you know, let's just do the old standby and hijack a nuke and hold the world for ransom. Right. So we'll keep track of that, too. We'll get we'll we'll do a nuke counter and a laser counter. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, OK, so the the ending was weird to me because everybody Pussy Galore apparently told Felix Leiter about the plan. Mm-hmm. So everybody just pretended to be. Uh, to to pass out, but then they waited until the nuke was armed to wake up and <laughs> yeah. go save the day. I was so confused by that. Yeah, and uh, how? 
they weren't wearing masks either, most of them. So how did they not, how were they not affected by the the gas? Or oh, well, Pussy Galore switched it out. She switched it for oh, just oh, normal oh, yes, air, yes, yeah. Okay, right, right, right. Okay. But, because yeah. they have this this little reader that showed them that Nuke was armed. I'm like, why wouldn't they just stop him when they get up to the gate? Yeah, it was weird, and they never explained it, but... But I, yeah. I, that whole scene was great. The fight scene with Oddjob was great, and the suspense building up to the to the bomb ticking, and and Bond's trying to disarm it, and the guy comes and and switches it. And I love the line, "What kept you?" Like he because right. he says it so casually, and yet you can see the tension in his face. You know, it's like classic mm-hmm. Bond keeping his cool during an almost seven seconds away from a nuclear explosion. So yep, I love that part. <laughs> It was it was a little bit funny to me that too you know in these kinds of bomb diffusing situations in movies you always see them they're like is it the yellow wire or the blue wire and they're yeah. depending they're deciding which one to cut but Bond looked like he was just gonna rip the rip whole thing the whole apart. damn thing apart just yeah rip it out and uh, and the guy who does come up it looks like he just flipped a uh, you know a simple switch <laughs> yeah that's right. pretty funny <laughs> yeah it's like oh gosh I, getting a, on a, on a runaway train of, of uh, metaphors here, but have you seen in Bridget Jones's diary when she gets up to give the speech and she can't? Be, she's like, the microphone doesn't appear to be working, and that guy comes over and he's like, just switch this off. <laughs> oh, dang it! <laughs> I have anyway. not seen that movie, but oh, I, missed I, opportunity, Mark. I could have gotten away with saying I had. So <laughs> I'm a man of my word, though I'm an honest man. <laughs> I appreciate that about yeah. you. Okay, so uh, we were remiss in not saying who did it better last time. Dr. No, um, I'd say, what do you say for Dr. No? Who did a better book or movie? I'd say book for Dr. No. Yeah, me too. And I think you, you probably tell for both of us what we'll say about Goldfinger. I think the movie did it better. Yep, agreed. Because the, the book was the worst so far. <laughs> It's it's really funny to me that the book was the worst and you think the movie was, is the best. Well, yeah, I thought I thought they did a great job with the movie. Uh, yeah, it is. They did. It's just funny to me that that they would be and, so totally... yeah, so different. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, I was really looking forward to this book too because I remembered Goldfinger being kind of one of the iconic uh, Bond villains and remembering him a lot from my from my childhood, but just kind of mm-hmm. a letdown. So yeah. Well, all right. Well, the next book is interesting because it is a collection of stories so we are going to do something interesting with that and that's all i'll say for now (laughs) i'm crossing my fingers hoping we find something interesting to do with that all right so (laughs) kelly do you do you want to remind them where they can check us out sure you can check us out on twitter at hear their series you can listen to us on iTunes, and you can check us out at www.itsjustawesome.com. All right, and we are done for now, but we will return in For Your Eyes Only. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Congratulations for listening to this entire episode. Fleming Brand is bringing you a special outtake from the beginning of the episode. And here it is.
So what do you think, Charles? <laughs> so when you guys switch, you make her sound like an idiot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, I like well, that. I write myself as an idiot a lot, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that says about me, but... That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, Kelly, switch roles with me. I gotta sound smart. Yeah. yeah. Not really, no. That's awesome. All right. I'm like, sorry, Kelly, I suggested that. <laughs> yeah. That's you, okay. you thought you thought you were being progressive when it came to gender roles, but really we just made her sound like a dumb bimbo. Yeah. Good job. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Tell me when I should go. Whenever you're composed. Okay. All right. Part seven: The Gold Substandard. <laughs> 